Greetings, this is Cantus Hermes. I'm Cody Cook. This is a, a sermon I was asked to preach by a friend who hosts an online fellowship and prayer meeting. Its theme fits well with Christmas, which is good since we're still within the 12 days of Christmas. Uh, the topic is the Upside Down Kingdom, and it's the first sermon I've preached, as you'll probably be able to tell. So here we go. Uh, the topic that I, I was going to preach on today is the Upside Down Kingdom. And I was going to start in Isaiah. So uh, the prophet Isaiah has this vision that he uh, communicates to us about uh, God's rule coming to earth. And there's different components uh, of it, but uh, three that, that I wanted to focus on. One is that this uh, kingdom of God coming to earth would be under the authority of the King Messiah. And so we read in Isaiah 9, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, there'll be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to Amen. uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Uh, Isaiah 11 adds, with righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. <clears throat> so that's one aspect of this kingdom that Isaiah speaks about, of, of God's rule coming to earth. Another aspect is that it is going to include the nations. So when Isaiah is, is writing, uh, the, the people of God are, are pretty much all Jews, right? But um, yeah. Isaiah looks forward and he sees... Isaiah 2, he says, for example, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Uh, Isaiah 25 adds, the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering, which is over all peoples, even the veil, which is stretched over all nations. So all these sort of, this division that happens between Jew and Gentile, and really between nation and nation, goes away in this new kingdom that Isaiah looks forward to. And a, a third characteristic of it is that it's marked by peace. So Isaiah 2 tells us, and the nations will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. So things that were used to be used for implements of war, they say, well, that's not useful anymore. We'll use it for, for harvesting, right? A uh, nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Isaiah 11 adds, they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. <clears throat> now, that's Isaiah's vision, and it matches Jesus's vision. So um, I'm focusing more on Matthew here. Um, you know, Jesus has this vision of a kingdom that is, there's a king Messiah, right, who, who judges the nations. Uh, uh, Matthew 25 tells us, uh, the king will say to those in his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. Uh, the king will answer and say to them, uh, this is the other side, the other bag the, on the left, the goats. 
truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So uh, Jesus is judging uh, among the, the, the righteous and the, and the, and the wicked uh, as a king and as a judge. Uh, we also uh, read that in this kingdom, Jesus tells us that the Gentiles will be brought in. He says, I say to you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 8, 11. So um, question that, that comes to my mind as I read this is when did Jesus become king? And another question that comes to mind is when did the Gentiles become part of this kingdom? Is this something that's already happened or is it something that will happen? And the answer seems to be that in one sense it has already happened, but in another sense it's yet to be fulfilled. So as you know, Paul and Peter and, and the apostles are preaching the gospel, they say, wait a second, this is coming to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are being brought in. And so in one sense, Isaiah's prophecy, his vision was already being fulfilled. But there's also this sense in which um, what we have now is not the fullness of what we will have, right? So um, in, Amen. In, Amen. Uh, in, in the theological world, sometimes that, that gets called a now but not yet eschatology. We have something now, but there's something coming later where you get you get it more in full, right? So exactly. if Jesus is already our king, the kingdom of God is already in our midst, and the Gentiles are already brought in, where does that leave this vision of peace between peoples? Has that already happened? Is that only for the future? And uh, what's interesting is if, if you spend a little bit of time looking at the early church, um, they thought that it had already been fulfilled. And so they look at this passage, these passages, uh, specifically the passage of Isaiah talking about turning swords into plowshares. And a guy like Justin Martyr, who's writing in the 150s, uh, he says, and that it did so come to pass, we can convince you. This prophecy has come to pass already. For from Jerusalem there went out into the world men, 12 in number, and these illiterate of no ability in speaking. But by the power of God, they proclaimed to every race of men that they were sent by Christ to teach to all the word of God. And we who formerly used to murder one another do not now only refrain from making war upon our enemies, but also we may not lie nor deceive our examiners, willingly die confessing Christ. Irenaeus, writing about 30 years later in 180, uh, he, he writes in his book Against Heresies, but if the law of liberty, that is the word of God, preached by the apostles, who went forth from Jerusalem throughout all the earth, caused such a change in the state of things that these nations did form the swords and war lances into plowshares and change them into pruning hooks for reaping the corn, that is, into instruments used for peaceful purposes, and that they are now unaccustomed to fighting, but when smitten offer also the other cheek, then the prophets have not spoken these things of any other person, but of him who effect effected them, namely Jesus. So they say, we see Isaiah's prophecy already being fulfilled. Now, of course, there's also a not yet component there because the whole world is not living in peace at this point. But they say in this one sense, just like how, um, you know, the nations have not been joined to Israel uh, in the New Jerusalem, but yet in one sense they have. They say, well, this is the same of this message of peace that we who follow Christ, um, we refrain 
from making war on each other and we uh, we live together in peace from all nations. So um, in other words, Christians live as if Jesus has already been enthroned and if his kingdom has already come. But what does that look like? What does living in this way look like? Do um, you know, so it's the kingdom, right? So what, what do kingdoms do? Do we, do we march as soldiers to conquer other kingdoms? Do we, do we rule over non-Christians with an iron fist? Um, do we take taxes and tribute for the king and live off of those we've conquered? That's the way an earthly kingdom would function. Um, so, you know, is that, is that the way the kingdom of God works? Well, there, there, I think Jesus gives us a vision of what that kingdom looks like in the Sermon on the Mount. And so to give just a few examples, he tells us, uh, this is Matthew 5, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Amen. So in Jesus's kingdom, those who are gentle and make peace are the sons of the king, and they will inherit the, the earth, his kingdom, right? Whereas in the earthly kingdoms that we've experienced in history, those who conquer are the ones who rule, not those who make peace, not those who are gentle, those who are aggressive and those who are willing to enslave and conquer their neighbors. Jesus also tells us, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So in Jesus' kingdom, those who love their enemies and do good to them are like the king. But in earthly kingdoms, as we've seen, the people are supposed to hate the king's enemies and go to war against them. You've heard uh, Jesus also tells us uh, that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. He also tells us in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So in Jesus's kingdom, those who refuse to return violence for violence and show mercy to their enemies are to be praised. But in contrast, the earthly kingdoms that we've seen throughout the world, people are punished according to what the judge determines they deserve or the king or, you know, whatever it might be. Jesus also tells us, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. That's Matthew 6, 19 through 20. But in Jesus's kingdom, so that's what Jesus's kingdom is, is, is the vision we have here. Those who use their treasure to bless others will be blessed. But in earthly kingdoms, wealth is stored up for security. So this is very much the opposite. For, for Jesus, when you bless the poor, you're making an investment in your future. But that's not how uh, earthly kingdoms uh, will think of it, right? You know, that's that's wasted money because that's that's something that you could hold on to for your own security. You've heard that it was said, Jesus tells us, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her 
in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Matthew 5, 27 through 29. So in Jesus's kingdom, our future in the world to come is more important than having what we need in this life. We can give something up that seems essential in this life, our, our hand or, or our eye, for example, um, in order to have life in the world to come. And that would actually be a wise decision, right? It wouldn't be a wise decision if there is no world to come, but if there is a world to come, then yes, it would be a wise decision. In earthly kingdoms, kings covet what they see with their eyes and they take it, whether that's money or sex or territory, whatever it is, if they want it, they covet it and they take it. They would never put themselves at a disadvantage in this life by giving up something they could use to meet their earthly needs or gratify their desires. So we see um, really what, what the reason I call this an upside down kingdom is because it's essentially the exact opposite of the way that kings throughout human history have ruled and the way kingdoms have been organized. Um, instead of conquering enemies and storing up wealth, uh, we use our wealth to bless others and we show love and mercy and grace to our enemies. That's absolutely reverse. So everything about this kingdom that Jesus talks about, this kingdom of God, seems to be the opposite of how earthly kingdoms function. Earthly kingdoms exercise power over others. Jesus's kingdom serves others. Earthly kingdoms take up swords to fight enemies. But in Jesus's kingdom, we love our enemies. Earthly kingdoms worry about how to acquire wealth, and they do whatever is necessary to expand that wealth, um, hold on to it and store it up. But those in Jesus's kingdom trust God, so they give their wealth away. Jesus' vision doesn't make much sense if this life is all that we have. If there's no guarantee of tomorrow, why not hoard wealth so that we have a greater chance of security for the future? If we have strong sexual desires for those we aren't married to, why not fulfill them while we can? If there's no kingdom coming and God's will won't be done, we're on our own. So as Paul says, uh, if there's no resurrection, let us eat, drink, and be merry, satisfy every passing craving, because tomorrow we die, and that's it. But Christians are called to a higher ethic, which is built upon this foundation that God's kingdom is coming. Our patience, um, our faith, is an investment in a future which is more real than sex, money, and the illusion of security. Um, and there's also this illusion that I can meet my own needs, right? Ultimately, the reason that the, the kings function so much differently than the, uh, the kingdom of God is supposed to function is because they believe this is all that we have and we have to hold on to what we can get. Uh, but that's not the way the kingdom of God functions. In fact, we can even be willing to give up our lives. Um, that would be a worthwhile sacrifice um, if it means that we give it up for the future kingdom. So we believe as Christians that this kingdom is already here, even if it hasn't come in its fullness. If we truly do believe this, then I say we should act like it. We should trust God as the king who provides for us instead of trusting in ourselves. 
we should seek unity with brothers of all nations because Jesus has already reconciled Jew and Gentile. And we should Amen. privilege peace over security, choosing to lay down our weapons in love rather than use them against our enemies. When we can do these things, I would say that we can rightly say that the kingdom of God is in our hearts.